0: Hi, and welcome back to Strange Proposition. I'm John. Uh, This episode, we're going to be reading Chapter 6 into action. And I'll be stopping when there is stuff we need to go over, uh, particularly if there's some problematic God or spirituality content. We want to make sure that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on this because a lot of really important sentences and paragraphs are larded over with God and spirituality content by Bill and we got to really be surgical about the edits we make because there's so much important stuff for the practical program of recovery that is discussed in, in this chapter uh, that we don't want just to uh, discard entirely because it happens to be uh, appear initially tainted by the God and spirituality stuff. But happily, we can remove that, um, remove those marks from it and preserve it because uh, it's really important for recovery, a lot of this stuff. So I'll start on chapter 6, page 72, into action. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our Creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We've admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty, in the sense we find it necessary, until they told someone else all their life story. So this is sort of interesting because this is one of the first times that uh, the big book is asking us to accept a material and physical proposition on faith, right? Like, they're not... Bill isn't saying... um, He isn't making... uh, He isn't making claims about the way a higher power works or the way that the universe works with a spirit of the universe underlying everything that knows neither time nor place. You know, all the language we've gone over in the past in these preceding chapters. He's saying... When people don't share their inventory, when they're not fearless and thorough enough, they drink. And I think it's important to be to treat the claims Bill makes about spirituality and God with a different degree of skepticism that we treat the claims he makes about the practical program of action. Because there... Since new alcoholics have not tried these things, most likely, uh, the things in the practical program of action, at least not in sequence, and in the way that's being suggested by the big book, there you really have the, the danger of a new alcoholic rejecting the need for these action steps in such a way as to really fit quite nicely within Herbert Spencer's warning about the dangers of contempt prior to investigation. So I just want to point that out, I mean, even an atheist working the secular practical program of action in AA need, may require, may need to produce within themselves some faith, some faith that it is true that these things need to be done th- fearlessly and thoroughly, or else we will drink again. Um, and if the needed faith isn't there, then I think it's really worth dwelling upon the final quote in Appendix 2 Spiritual Experience that from Herbert Spencer that, that I just excerpted a bit there. So I'll pick up with the reading on 873. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom we take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must, and of course will, want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed-mouthed, understanding friend." Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, the step may be postponed, only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone in perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of a creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. When ready, we say something like this, quote, My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding, amen, unquote. We have then completed step seven. So it's interesting. I mean, steps six and seven only get a few paragraphs in the big book, total. Uh, and this is, another, this is like a perfect example of when we, when it, it is, I think, really important and useful for an atheist going through the steps to just put aside the God stuff, put aside the prayer construction that is used for these steps, and just and 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 just reflect upon what character defects have shown up in steps four and five, and and just meditating perhaps is a good verb upon becoming willing to be relieved of those things, right? Because some of those that like fear. And jealousy are, are those are easy ones that we want to get rid of, but selfishness is is tough. I mean we can still be holding on to selfishness as a modus operandi uh even if it is um, you know even if it is obvious to us how much pain it has caused ourselves, let alone other people having having gone through the inventory with you know with a sponsor. Uh, or a therapist, you know, it says in the book, person or persons, and mentions, you know, all variety of people um, wh- to whom we can take our inventory. And luckily, it doesn't have to be just one person. There may be things that um, someone will not want to discuss with their sponsor, uh, or there are plenty of people, maybe even the majority of people, who share it all just with this with their sponsor. Uh, the whole idea of a sponsor was less. You know that steady relationship with another alcohol, one alcoholic helping another and, and you know two out al- addicts and or alcoholics just talking to each other on a regular basis and the therapeutic value of that wasn't so much uh, set in stone at at the time the big book was written in in thirty nine um, so that's why it's sort of missing from from this chapter when it talks about step five. So I will uh, pick up again with the reading on seventy six. Now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment we are trying to put our lives in order, at at the moment we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. But our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. So this is kind of a bummer, right? At the top of 77. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. That is not even how the spiritual experience is sold early on, right? The spiritual experience is a means to an entire psyche change. It's a means to completely identify Re- replacing ideas, conceptions, and emotions which used to dominate us with, with new uh, attitudes and opinions I- in terms of what what Jung called the vital spiritual experience, which is really a secular phenomenon. Or the personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism in Appendix 2 spiritual experience, right? Like the the faith, the spiritual stuff was meant as a means to getting ourselves together, right? Because Bill even says... Earlier in the book that we read and, and and we pointed it out, that we didn't even have the power to live by new moral or philosophical convictions. That's what we needed God for. And here he's saying, you're just a tool, like you're just there to serve God. You get you get sober and you sort your life out to be a better servant of God, as opposed to the God idea and the spiritual experience serves you in your recovery from alcoholism, which is a lot easier for me to accept, right? Like, you take a leap of faith because it's psychologically necessary, and that's what that's what enables you to hold together once you face the abyss. That, at least, has a logic to it. This idea that we're all just here to to glorify God is completely unearned. And, and, it, and, it, and this is what we talked about, you know, I think on the first episode and why we started with like the, the title page and the, and the prefatory materials. Because this stuff doesn't just happen all at once. It creeps up over chapter after chapter until it gets to the point where these types of really um, discouraging uh, claims are being made, like the claim being made here. So I just wanted to point that out. Like that, that is not really how it how it should go, even if you are a person of faith and you're using the God stuff in prayer to recover. You know, AA is here to get you sober. AA is here to enable you to have a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. Period. That is the end into itself. The God stuff for a lot of AAs is part of it, but that is that is a means to the to the end to the proper end. AA is not about taking alcoholics and turning them into examples of God's glory. So I'll pick up again with the reading in 77. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still too, not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret." Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. In nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own faults. So feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. Most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. Perhaps we have committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense such, a pe- such as padding the expense account. Many of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Though these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary. But if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking drastic steps, before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, asked God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. This brings to mind a story of one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action meant widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs, or their equivalent, for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with The Girl Who Understands. In fairness, we we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have found often this is the best course to take. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving and kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face combat. If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today and perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? Grand? The wind stopped blowing. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we honestly if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen; we send them an honest letter, and there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping as God's people. We stand on our feet we don't crawl before anyone If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. So I'm going to take a break here. Uh, What I just read are uh, the the nine-step promises, uh, bottom of 83 through uh, the middle of 84, those are often read uh, in AA meetings verbatim, um, sometimes towards the end of the meeting, usually not at the beginning of the meeting. Um, sounds a lot, right, like the type of thing that Jung was talking about on 27 and There's a Solution when he described the vital spiritual experiences. He says, Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And so, and and what what are the ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of alcoholics? Mostly, just the two-sided coin of fear and selfishness. Some would say fear and resentment, I guess, but really it comes down to self-centeredness and fear. I mean, it's fear that's being overcome as as Bill's describing it in this chapter when it comes to doing step 5 the right way, when it comes to making amends fully. And selfishness it, it continues to come, you know, to come back time and again, and as we're reading these um these nine step promises you know self seeking self pity selfish things uh says self seeking will slip away our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change the the entire the the change of our entire outlook and attitude upon life that is really the best material secular description of what happens uh that the spiritual experience fits into the category of but isn't everything, right? There's plenty of room for atheists to have the personality change, the entire psychic change, or what Jung called the vital spiritual experience. But again, we're not quite sure what he meant in that translation. Um, so, so, yeah, that really is... You know, if you're track, you know, if, if you've been listening, you know, as we've been going through these chapters, and and I've and I've mentioned time after time the necessity of the entire psychic change, uh, the personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. This is where it's, this is when it's happening. You know, it's happening with the fifth step promises we went over. It's happening now with these nine step promises. Um, this work, this secular work that we're doing begins to produce that. And if you don't buy that, if you are a skeptic about that, that is fine. But keep in mind that you that you are not being skeptical of something because of its spiritual or God content. You know, we've stripped away the God and spirituality content and gotten to this point. Your skepticism is just based on not seeing how it works, not believing these Major promises that are being made, you know, these like Shangri-La promises that are being made. So, and again, I would just refer you back to the quote on 568 from Herbert Spencer of contempt prior to investigation. Give it a shot and see what happens. You know, as Bill says, it, it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any length to recover from alcoholism. And no, we're not going to go into delusion and lunacy with the God and spirituality stuff. But the practical program of action we're gonna to have to we're gonna to have to go through. Otherwise, what's the point of, of going to AA? I mean, unless you have to get signatures, unless you're you're stipulated to come here by, you know, the justice system, what is the point of coming to AA? So I'll I'll continue uh, with the reading on eighty four. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should not continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone if we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. This is how we react so long as we keep in, in fit spiritual condition. And these promises that I just read, these 10-step promises coming after step 10, you know, there's the description at the, at, in the last sentence I read, that is how we react so long as we keep in, sp- in fit spiritual condition. But it comes after step 10, which is just continuing to take inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. So it's continuing to do four through nine on an ad hoc basis, continuing to basically mow the lawn keep things maintained, tidy up, tighten things up, tune things up as necessary, now that we've undergone this wholesale moral inventory. uh, And and we've made, we've gone through the process of making all these sort of backdated amends or amends for backdated wrongs we've committed. And we've gotten the nine-step promises. But now what we're looking for, it says here, is continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So no 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 god no god stuff there. I mean it says yeah we ask god to help us remove them, but it also says we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. So this is this step is really step 10 is really rooted uh, in the material and the physical. And if you have been wondering as again, you know, as we were going through step 1 and in the early chapters talking about the actual what alcoholism is the nature of the disease how do we recover from that i mean if we can get sober and be fine and be doing fine and then have the insanely trivial reason for picking up a drink completely crowd out all the terrible consequences that we know are will come if we take even one drink when does that change right well it says here it it changes as part of the step 10 promises so i mean yeah it's going to it's hopefully for you going to start to happen before you Get to step 10, but getting to a point where you're not just fighting hard to stay sober while you're going through the steps where where you're where you're not, um, you know, af- afraid of, of alcoholism, where you're not fighting it, avoiding temptation, for instance, right? Like altering your route home so you don't go by your old bar or you go by the distributor, the liquor store you used to go to. I mean, all these things, they start to melt away and we, are, we regain sanity, and it says, and we, when tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame, that starts to happen once you get into the practice of working step 10. And that puts you in what Bill here calls spit, uh, fit spiritual condition, but that's a lot different from the, sp- the spirituality of the next step that, that we're going to talk about, which is step 11. And I'll get to that now uh, in the middle of 85. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Quote, how can I best serve thee, thy will, not mine, be done, unquote. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. If it works, it works if we have the prop per attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? but we must be careful not to drift into worry remorse or morbid reflection for that would diminish our usefulness to others and making our review after making our review we ask god's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken so that that's interesting right like this is step 11 and as it turns out this is the this really is the meditation aspect of step 11 which completely matches up with what we're doing in in step 10 right so there's a real usefulness for meditation um, even in the, even in the practical program of action, that part of step 11. And of course, even if we're not thinking meditation in that way, as atheists, you know we can acknowledge that, that meditation can be a very useful practice, even if there isn't any particular object of, of a spiritual nature that uh, is being appealed to in the meditation. It's the prayer where it gets ridiculous, and we're going to see that in just a moment here. So I'll pick up again on 86. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. And I'll just let that paragraph, in all its ridiculousness, uh, just stand on its own. I don't even think we need to touch it. It is, it is perfectly awful uh, without any uh, uh, you know, deconstruction. So picking up on eighty seven. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no request for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. Now there's no continuation from that last Sentence of the of that paragraph. You can easily see why. There's no explanation for why prayer for oneself uh, doesn't work. One would think it would actually be the most efficient means of uh, transmitting information about people's needs to God. Um, to pray for yourself and let God sort out what you need. But there, there, there isn't any attempt. It's just saying you can easily see why. So remember when Bill talked about how unfair it was that... Um, people believe in science, but when he makes the perfectly logical assumption that there's a spirit of the universe underlying all things, that uh, that people are, behave skeptically or as he would call it, prejudicially towards that, that at least, and he says elsewhere, you know, uh, religious people have a logical way of looking at the world. Here, the logic is just disintegrating. Like, he's not even trying. It, it's just completely tearing off into, not, into oblivion. And... Um, I think that's worth noting. I mean the spiritual program you know the simple religious idea this or what he calls the spiritual program of action um is just completely collapsing uh so i'll I'll continue on eighty seven with the reading. if circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we, believe to, if we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. But this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. So that's the end of uh, chapter six into action. And uh, yeah, chapter seven called Working With Others is about step 12. So we'll get to that in the next episode. So I I hope that um, that you can come away from this chapter with a real sense of the importance of the practical program of action. And at this point, having been through chapter after chapter of all the God crap, that you've you've acquired the ability to pierce through that and see what's really important. And I've tried to point it out based on my personal experience. And, and look, all those promises, the fifth step promises, the ninth step promises, the tenth step promises— though those as much of a skeptic as I am of everything and not just claims about the spiritual but but claims in the material and physical world as well. Um I those have come true for me. And you know if that's if that's any if that if that encourages anybody to try it for themselves, great. You know, that that's mainly why I'm why I'm sharing that fact. Um you know, the program, the practical program of action does work. Um, and if you don't believe it, it will work for you because you may believe it, well, it can't work in every circumstance. It can't always work for all alcoholics and addicts. I would just say at least try it for yourself. And we'll get to step 12 about working with others, and that is really important, being helpful to others, because those are really the main, That that that's really like, That's one of, like, the probably four really important things that you got to do to recover. You have to admit defeat and and understand what alcoholism is and accept that you're an alcoholic. You have to make an inventory and share it with another person, make amends to those you've harmed, and be helpful to others. And we are particularly well-suited to being helpful to newly sober alcoholics or people trying to get sober, trying to stay sober um in this world though we can be helpful in many other ways and it's important in our in our daily lives and, and in our in our family life and among friends and colleagues to be helpful in a non-12 step way uh, we are really uh, able to be helpful uh, as alcoholics helping other alcoholics um, you know because this program is based on the idea that, only an alcoholic can help another alcoholic. And I know we found evidence that there are, you know, Silkworth saying that there were a considerable aggregate of success for the psychiatric effort. But even Silkworth says, you know, these these alcoholics really have something. And uh, he recognized how scalable it was and how much more efficient it was in terms of the resources being put to use and then finally, keeping in mind that, you know, it, beyond like the the main um, principle th- that we get from in uh, there is a solution on page twenty, our very lives as ex problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help their needs. You know, taking taking Bill's experience into into account, where prayer and meditation. W- was very important to him but ultimately he found working with another alcoholic was the only thing that was sure to keep him from falling off the wagon so it's in our interest uh our in our self-interest as recovering you know alcoholics to work with others so thank you so much for sticking through um i'm looking forward to the next chapter and uh, hope you all have a great day thanks